central, it's really important. And in this whole chapter, Paul is making the case that love matters. Love really, really matters. It matters above all other things. So we are also different, and we're different in the gifts that we have, but in one way, we are all to be the same. We are all to love. Love is to be the dominant quality of your life and my life. It's not to be, to be just one of those qualities kind of somewhere on your list of things that you want to do well. It should be the goal of your life. It should be your greatest ambition, your greatest desire. If you're a person that talks in terms of bucket lists, to love should be the main thing on your bucket list. The one thing that you want to do well the rest of your life. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle John wrote to all of us, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. We have received this massive gift of love poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And John says, love is from God, therefore we are to love one another. Beloved, let us love one another. We may not all speak in tongues. We are not all teachers. We may not all have special gifts of healing. But we all are to love one another. You know, there's several things that you could look and that people do tend to look at that might give you some kind of indication that you're making progress in the Lord, that you're doing well spiritually. But the primary indication of real spiritual growth in your life is the development of love. God saved you to make you an instrument of love. He saved you to express His love through you. He saved us so that we could say with Paul, the love of Christ compels us or the love of Christ controls us. It, it, it dominates our lives. It, it's the thing that moves us. It's the thing that motivates us. It's the, things that, it's the thing that gets us out of bed in the morning. The love of Christ flowing through our hearts to other people. And if we do not keep this focus clearly in mind, then we begin to measure our spirituality by some other thing or some other standard. And we might measure our spirituality by the amount of Bible knowledge that we have or that we have cleaned up our lives from some gross and obvious sins. Some might feel that they've spiritually arrived simply because they're managing their lives well. They're managing their money well. They, they're organized. Uh, they're always on time. They just do things right. Some might people feel, might feel they're doing well spiritually because they're, they're just more expressive in worship. Or they have had certain spiritual experiences that, that maybe other people haven't had. Or some might think they're, they're doing well because they, they're able to have prophetic words for people. Uh, or they have a, just a, a, a special kind of faith or amount of faith 
that sees dramatic answers to prayer. Some might feel that they're just doing well in the things of the Lord just because they're very sacrificial. They just live a very sacrificial life. They're always doing things for their family, their kids, for other people. They just lead a sacrificial life. And all of those things are good things. But if we think that we are in a right and good spiritual condition by these things, we have wandered off course. Paul says love is to be primary. And if we make any of these things, these other things, primary, if we make these other things our primary aim, we have become a distortion of the man or woman God saved us to be. In, in England, in the late 1800s, there was a man who was known as the Elephant Man. Some of you may have seen that, that movie. Joseph Merrick, in the movie he's called John Merrick, but his actual name was Joseph Merrick. He was born looking like a normal baby, uh, but he began to develop severe deformities in his early years. And some rare disease so, so disfigured his, his head and other parts of his body, but primarily his head and face. In his head and face, he looked more like an elephant than a man. And in fact, he was exhibited at a freak show as the Elephant Man. And his story is a pathetic story of his own physical suffering and just the cruel treatment of people toward him. But my point is this. When love is not the foremost feature in our lives, we become grotesque distortions of what God created us to be in Christ. People are to see in us the image of God's love. They are to see in us the love of Christ. And too often, instead, Christians are known for other things. And it sadly distorts the image of the love of Christ that they are to see in us. Love is the the real measure of our spiritual condition. Jesus said love is the mark of a disciple. We are identified as true followers of Jesus Christ by our love for one another. Certainly there's other things that matter and all these other things that I've mentioned and talked about, they matter. But love is is the pinnacle of what Jesus desires for you and what he requires from you. A new commandment I give to you, summing up all other commandments, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, the goal, or the aim, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a sincere faith. It's like, Paul says, you know, when I am done teaching you guys, when I'm done explaining all of God's word to you, the whole goal of that is that you would be people who love from a sincere heart, from a pure heart and a sincere faith. When, when, the, when the word of God has done its full and complete work in us, we will be people who love. We'll be people who love deeply, who love faithfully, who love 
at all times who love all people. When, when God has finished his work in our lives, love will be the hallmark of your life. Love will be the thing that people think about when they think about you. Love will be the dominant feature in your life. When people think of you, they will think of how you treat them with genuine love and with a heart of love. When people see your face, they will see the love of God. When people hear you speak, they will sense love in your words and coming from your heart to them. And of course, what I'm saying here does not mean that we approve of people's sin or that it doesn't mean we never correct someone. But we do so with genuine love flowing out of our hearts, the love of God flowing out of our hearts to people as the predominant thing that, that comes forth from us. And you know, no matter how much Jesus himself emphasized that we love one another, no, no matter how much the apostles, uh, John and Paul and Peter, uh, appealed to us to love one another, no matter how much on the pages of Scripture we're taught over and over and over, the priority of love is one of the hardest things to keep clearly before us. The devil seems to always be working on some very clever scheme to turn your heart away to some other emphasis, to some other passion to cause you to forget about the priority of love. There's always a, a reason to not love. I mean, there just is. There's always reasons that come into your head to not love. There is always a way to justify our absence of love. I don't need to love them because they're not like me. They dress different. They pray different. Their political views are different. Their views on certain things in the Bible are different. They're too emotional. They're not emotional enough. They have more than I do. They have less than I do. Perhaps, perhaps you withhold love from people who are weak in areas that you are strong in and you feel that you are right in doing that. You think, I have it together in this area. And they don't, and they should. And we somehow feel that that justifies us to not have a heart of love for them. But the scripture clearly teaches that we are to bear with one another. Peter says love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of faults. Love covers a multitude of problems. And so even if you see clearly someone's faults, and their irritating habits, or if you disagree with them over things that are minor or major, that should not, not keep us from remembering the priority of demonstrating and showing generous, heartfelt love. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul has, has just undertaken this, this task of trying to help us see that love matters. I mean, that's just his passion in this chapter is to help us to see this. And in, in these last few verses of the chapter, which is, which is our scripture reading or passage for this morning, 
Paul, again, he's still doing everything he can to impress us with the massive priority of love. And specifically in these verses, this is a plea to love because of the unending quality of love. Now, let me explain what that means and why that makes love so important. The NIV says love never fails. Uh, the, The Good News translation says love is eternal. The ESV, which I think really captures it well, just simply says love never ends. And I think all of those communicate what, what Paul is, is saying here. Love is, is unfailing. It's un, unfading. It's never ending. Love remains forever. Love does not end at death. Love does not end when the world ends. Love does not end when anything and everything else in this life come, comes to an end. Love never ends. God is eternal and God is love. And therefore, love is eternal. And God's love for you is eternal. It will never come to an end. It will never fail. It will never leave you. As Paul said, nothing can separate us from the love of God. In that passage, he says, I'm convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons... Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing in the present and nothing in the future because love is eternal. God's love for you is eternal. God spoke to Jeremiah and he told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And God says the same thing to you. He speaks to you this morning. He says the same thing to you. I love you. Whatever your name is, he says, he names you and he says, I love you and I have loved you with an everlasting love. And because we are so loved by God, we are told in scripture to love each other and we are, and we are able to love each other because God's very own love has been poured into our hearts by the, by the Holy Spirit and we And we just seek to pour out the love that's been poured out into our heart to others. And and Paul says that will never stop. It's unending. When we're we're with each other in heaven, we will continue to love one another. When we are with each other in heaven, we will continue to experience love. As Amazing Grace says, when we've been there 10,000 years... uh, we, we, it says in that song, it says we'll have no less cause to sing God's praise or something when we first begun. But when we've been there 10,000 years, we will still be bathed in the love of God. Amen. We will love Him and we will love one another. Love will be the atmosphere of heaven, so to speak. Love will reign in heaven. Love will fill our hearts forever. A pastor by the name of Richard Ostella uh, had a quote on, on the uh, Bible.org website that said, Since heaven is a world of love, then the way to have a taste of heaven now on earth is to love. And I think that's really true. You know, we're, we are the closest to the glories of heaven right now when we love God and when we love one another. Love is eternal. Love never ends. Love will go on and on. It will be the experience of heaven. 
And so Paul's point is this eternal quality of love gives it an importance above all other things in this life which will fade away, which will stop or come to an end. And most everything else we do now will change in some way, but love remains forever. Love abides. Love never fails. Love never fades. Love never ends. Your house will not make it into heaven. Neither will your iPhone or your iPad or your car. Uh, Your knowledge about sports or business or politics won't be needed in heaven. Even the gifts of the Spirit will one day have fulfilled their purpose and will no longer be needed. Even faith and hope will one day have fulfilled their purpose and will, will no longer have a reason to be exercised. That doesn't mean all these things are worthless or have no present value. But Paul is seeking to open our eyes to, to the massive importance of love, that love matters most. And so he says, again, verse 8, Love never ends. Now, if there are prophecies, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. Some things, at verse just simply says that some things that are God's plan for us now will not remain throughout all eternity like love will. The gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, he clearly says, will come to an end. But love is appointed by God to remain forever. And that shows us, that shows us the, 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 the preeminence of love, the value that God places on love. And then verse, verses 9 and 10 tell us why the gifts of the Spirit will stop and when they will come to an end. For what we know is incomplete and what we prophesy is incomplete, but when what is complete comes, then what is incomplete will be done away with. Or the ESV says it probably especially well, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So why will the gifts of the Spirit stop? Well, they're given for the building up of the church. But there is coming a time when the church will be perfect. The, we live in a partial experience now. The perfect is coming. There's coming a time when, when you and I will be perfect. It says when, when we see Him, we will be like Him. There's coming a day when we will be perfect. And our experience and knowledge of God will be complete or perfect, as it says, lacking nothing. So these gifts and even other things that are important and even necessary for us as a church now will no longer be needed when we see Jesus face to face, when the perfect comes. The gifts of the Spirit are a part of God's plan and purpose during this time, this season of life, this age, so to speak, this time of partial or imperfect experience and our knowledge of God. So Paul says we prophesy in part. In other words, now in this age, in this season of life, 
when, when we speak for something that we believe God has prompted us to speak to others, we, we're doing it imperfectly or, or partially. It might be powerful, it might be helpful, it might give amazing encouragement to someone, but it's not a perfect word. Speaking in, in tongues or praying in tongues is only a partial way of communicating with God. We, we speak in words that we do not understand. God understands them, but it is, is not perfect communication. You know, knowledge is, is important now. Knowledge is very important to instruct us, to help us, to reveal things to us now. But the person who, who has the most complete and accurate knowledge now still only has partial knowledge. Even with all the things that God has revealed to us, our understanding is imperfect. So the gifts of the Spirit, even knowledge, will come to an end because it will be superseded by the perfect complete revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's an amazing thing to, to just to think that what, what we, we, we know in part now, we, what our knowledge is so partial now, but someday we're going to know fully, praise God. And it's going to change everything. And, of course, this gives us the answer not only why the gifts will cease, but when they will stop. When that which is perfect comes, the partial will pass away. These things are going to come to an end when, when what is perfect comes. And that's when the gift of the Spirit will stop. Now verse 12 says, We see, or now we see only, and I'm, this is a, a, a different version. I can't remember if this is NIV or maybe ISV. But now we see only an indistinct image in a mirror. But then we will see face to face. Now what I know is incomplete, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. You know, the, the, the mirrors of, of a couple thousand years ago were not very good mirrors. And I think that maybe helps us understand this passage even a little bit more clearly. Uh, the mirrors of, of that day were just polished metal. So, you know, they don't, they don't have... Uh, uh, chrome bumpers on cars much anymore, but it might be kind of like looking at a chrome hubcap or something, or or maybe a a a, a, a metal vase, a polished vase, or a metal plate, a silver plate that's polished up. It's a, it was a very indistinct image. So Paul was saying that while we while we really do experience God now, I mean we really do experience God now. But the full experience is yet ahead of us. A day is coming when our experience of the Lord will be so full, he describes it as being face-to-face. I mean, there's a vast difference between, between seeing a, a kind of a distorted reflection of someone in a, in a polished piece of metal than sitting down and looking to someone right in their eye, seeing them eye-to-eye and face-to-face. And Paul said, that's how different our experience will be from this life to the life to come. And just as God knows us fully now, he knows everything about you now. God knows, he knows what you're going to say even before there's a word on your tongue. He has all the hairs of your head numbers. He knows everything about you now. 
And he says, just as God knows us fully now, or just as we are fully fully known now, someday we will know all things that fully. And then Paul uses the, the illustration of the difference between being a child and adult, I believe, to illustrate the same point. He's saying just like the difference is so vast between being a child and being an adult, the difference between our life in this world and the world to come is vastly different. So in verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. I mean, there, there is so much more that God is bringing to you that God has for you, that, that what is going on now in this life will seem like child's play in compar- comparison to the full-blown adult, grown-up experience of God. And things that are important in childhood are not important in adulthood. Things that are important now are not even needed then. Things that are right and good in childhood, we give up when we become an adult. And just like childhood doesn't last forever, life will not always remain as it is now. There's, there's, coming, there's coming a day when we will see him, when Christ will be revealed from heaven and we will see him face to face and we will be transformed in a twinkling of an eye. We will be like him. Not only will our bodies be changed, but our mind and emotions and everything about us will become perfect and whole and complete, and it's going to be wonderful, amazing. And so Paul's really just stating that truth in two different ways. One, there's, there's a difference between seeing a distinct, an indistinct image in a mirror and seeing someone face-to-face. There's a difference between being a child and being an adult. And as he said, as a child, your entire perspective is from that of a child. You speak, you think, you reason like a child, but all that changed when you became an adult. And in the same way, the gifts will be put away when we enter the full adulthood of our spiritual life when we see Jesus. You know, then Paul ends this section. He takes, takes what I think probably all believers know as three of the most important things in life for us. Faith, hope, and love. And if you do a study throughout the letters of the churches, every letter that Paul wrote to the churches, he, tend, he evaluated each church on the, their faith, their love, and their hope. And uh, actually, Gene Getz, several many years ago, wrote a book called The Measure of a Church, and he pointed this out, how every church was measured by their faith, their hope, and their love. So these are, these are qualities that we as believers know are, are huge. They're vastly important. But Paul says, but the greatest, the greatest of these is love. Now remain these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And Paul doesn't go on to expound, expound on that or expand on that, but I think that Paul still has in mind the eternal quality of love. Love never ends. But just as the gifts of the Spirit will one day have fulfilled their purpose and will no longer be needed, 
in the same way, faith and hope will have fulfilled their purpose and will no longer be needed. Do you know that? That might, might surprise some of you, but Romans 8 says, But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Well, someday we're already going to have it. We won't have to believe for it. We won't have to hope for it. We won't look forward to it. We will have it. See, when we see all that we have hoped for and believed for, then there will be no more need for hope or faith. Love alone will carry over from this life into the next. Love alone never ends. Love alone never fades away. All right, I'm going to wrap up this morning with uh, some things that God put on my heart for, for us to especially remember out of this. Uh, the, the, the first point I wish I didn't have to make, because I, 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 I don't think it's the core message of this passage, but because of a lot of, a lot of teaching that some of us either have been or, or are, will be surrounded with, I, I think it's important to, to say First, Paul is not saying the gifts of the Spirit are no longer needed now or that they have ceased now any more than he is saying that faith and hope are no longer needed or that they have ceased now. It is important to develop an understanding of what, of what Paul is actually saying here in this passage because there's plenty of voices out there in other circles that, or on the internet that will tell you that the gifts have ceased and that you are in error or, or, or worse if you exercise some of these spiritual gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. And there's, there's just lots of teaching that gifts ceased in the first century or that they ceased with the apostles or they, they ceased uh, with the completion when the, when the last book of Scripture was written. And, and if you get pulled into that, you... Will and, I, and I've felt I've felt this myself. I've, I've been exposed to it myself. So, so and, and I've I've experienced the pressure of it. But if you if if you if you fall under the persuasion of that teaching, you will you will tend to shrink back from the God intended, God given manifestations of, of the Holy Spirit that are so needed for the present growth and life of believers, for the benefit. Of the church, okay. That's not Paul's main point in this passage. I'm pointing it out because this passage has so often been used to teach something that that I do not believe is the intent of this passage. Second, and this is clearly spoken in this passage. This is clearly the intent intent of this passage. I want to ask you the question: Has it ever gripped your heart? that love is the most important thing in your life? Has it ever gripped your heart that love is the most important thing that is to come out of your life? That love is the most important thing that is supposed to come out of your heart. Love is the most important thing that is supposed to come out of your mouth. Love is the most important thing that is supposed to show up on your countenance, on your face. I mean, people ought to see love in you. They ought to see love on you. They ought to hear love from you. They ought to feel love. They ought to know the love of God through you. Has it ever gripped your heart that love 
is the most important thing in your life. I know to love people is not easy. But I think one of the root causes, I I think one of the main reasons that we struggle with loving people is that we have never been really convinced in our heart that love is the most important issue in your life in God's eyes. To love your spouse well, to love the people around you, to love people in your family, to love people not in your family, to love strangers, to love other Christians, to love people in this church. This is what matters most. So be on guard against every scheme of the devil to pull you away from the priority of love. I mean, Paul's whole point here in, in, this, in the whole chapter is to magnify love above all else. And in, obviously in the context, he's showing that by, by elevating the love even above the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are precious and good, but love is elevated even above those. And that's his whole point. He is seeking to open our eyes. He's seeking to, in a a sense, come along and, and shake us and wake us up and say, love matters most. Love's the most important issue in your life. Third, this morning is really an appeal to get into right adjustment with the Holy Spirit. Love comes from God. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. That's where love comes from. We will never love the way we're called to love. We will never love others the way that we're supposed to love. Love will never show on your face. Love will never come out of your mouth. Love will never flow out of your heart until you know the love of God poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit and as you are rightly related to the Holy Spirit, totally yielded and surrendered to Him, love will flow out of you to those people around you. Love has to be generated first in your heart and then flow out of your life. You know, Jesus said, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Or I think, I think the King James says, um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But you get the idea. It's got to start in your, your heart. Love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love is a fruit of you and your heart being in union with or unified with, yielded to the Spirit of the living God. So you must yield yourself fully to the Spirit's work in order to love. And fourth, realize that you will love other people in heaven and it will help you love them now. You will love other believers in in heaven. I mean, God's going to see to that. Uh, And just think about it. I mean, just think about it now. The, The... the beauty and the sweetness of love when we love one another right here and now in this imperfect place. In this world here, which Paul describes as is only partial, only a partial experience. But think, think of what it's going to be like to love one another in that day when, when the hindrances of sin and poor judgments and critical attitudes and 
uh, all, all the other things that we allow to justify our lack of love now. When all of those things are removed, when all bitternesses and all unforgiveness and all grudges, when everything is removed and, and we are perfect as He is perfect, the love will flow like crazy. I mean, that's probably a very poor way to put it, but I mean, we're, we're, we are going to love each other in an amazing, an amazing way. Oh, how we will love each other in that day. Oh, how we will love each other when we see Jesus face to face. And often I think about that when, with Christians who are difficult for me to love. I think, I will be with that person in heaven someday. And we will love each other in that day. We, we will have to, and we will. And it will be great. It will be wonderful. We will love each other. You know, it's, it's a, little, a little different thought, but C.S. Lewis said that if, if, if we could see each other today, if right now, if you could see the other people around you in their glorified, heavenly, perfect state, C.S. Lewis said we would be tempted to bow down and worship. I mean, the, 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 the divine nature, the fullness, the perfection of Christ. And we shouldn't do that, and we won't do that. Our eyes are, eyes are going to be on Jesus. He, but his point was that the, that the perfection, the glory of our heavenly state will be so amazing that, that, that we would, could even be tempted to, 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 to worship that, that if we could see it. So we're going to love each other someday and we might as well practice it now. Love never ends. It's, you're never going to be able to get away from this. You're not ever going to be able to say, well, okay, I'm finished loving now because I'm going to heaven. Or I'm finished loving because I'm, I'm near the end of my life or whatever. You're never going to be able to get away from this. This is uh, something that we're called to eternally. To love now, to love today, to love tomorrow, to love next week, to love next year, to love Love, love to the end of your life and then go on loving for all of eternity. And that's what we're called to. That's the life that God has for us. And that's what, what Paul means when he says love never ends. Love never fails. Love never fades away. Let's pray.